Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just listening to you can listen to me eat this awesome carrot and date muffin. Welcome to the Mac DevOps YVR podcast. This podcast is about the Mac DevOps YVR conference in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. We interview guests and discuss topics around managing Macs using open source software products inspired by DevOps. Our goal is to encourage developers and IT to work together to solve problems for our community. For more information, see our website, mdoyvr.com. This is the Mac DevOps podcast. <laughs> I was trying to get through the uh, the latest DevOps or Dummies chapter about testing your code, and I just couldn't relate because I just don't do any testing. So, so I think I need to <laughs> testing in production. It's a thing. I, that's the only testing I do, and uh, I think I need to um, stare at myself in the mirror and figure out how to write some tests for some of my code, and also for the things that aren't quite code or the software that's infrastructure, you know, Monkey, etc. I mean need to think about and bring to the conversation of how we're testing this. I mean, I, I dream of a, a lovely setup where we can, t- you know, spin up VMs and test the output of auto package recipes and build, have monkey and auto package build software and deploy it to VMs and test it. And then at least do some sort of automated testing. That would be genius. And if you've set up such a system, contact 1-800-MAT-X-NEEDS-TO-KNOW. Um, cause- <laughs> <laughs> you would love to know how you did that. Welcome to DevOps for Dummies, where other people tell us how to do our job. Uh, we we are, re- we're rebranding the podcast, the DevOps for Dummies, the podcast. <laughs> this is the DevOps for Dummies <laughs> podcast, because we are a bunch of dummies stumbling our way, um, holding on to our battered and tattered copies of Emily Freeman's DevOps for Dummies. <laughs> I mean, as part of my uh, my monkey process, I do I do keep, uh, an actual physical machine around. I don't use a VM just because storage is so precious on these little SSDs and Mac minis are so plentiful for some reason. Um, so I have a little Mac mini that I use uh, for deployment testing that's uh, very easy to kind of blow away and rebuild and, and make sure uh, that what gets installed on the next round is what I expect. But I, I unlike you, do have a testing versus a production environment in that 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 oh, particular fancy. machine is on the the testing environment. Fancy, fancy! I, I have, know, right? I have uh, a 2012 yeah. Mac Mini, uh, a Top home production line. setup that basically everything just goes straight from auto package to monkey to instantly deployed to a bunch of machines <laughs> in my house just to. Uh, oh well, I mean, if it's, I, if it's your own local, yeah. if it's your own local bowl of dog food. I suppose yeah. that's okay. I'd like to find out what's going on, and then um, yeah, my production production clients you know i uh everything goes into testing and then i enable it uh, every couple of days when i when i check it out and if i've had to live with it myself you know or you know if it's a google chrome update or a certain browser or security update then those get done way way quicker yeah the whining happens earlier because chrome basically stops functioning when there's an update available and it wants to update but can't right yeah i i basically have uh all the auto updates turned off and from from like Microsoft Office, but I had to actually turn them back on for for Microsoft apps. I had them turned off because I didn't want them updating themselves and getting stuck and going, oh, I need an admin password. But I had to recently turn it back on the auto updater for Microsoft apps because the Defender, the antivirus product, would only work with that being turned on, and that was really frustrating. And it's on my list yeah, of things to try interesting. and work yeah. around. Well, and support for uh, 2016, Office 2016, has been deprecated at this point. 
Yeah. Also an interesting uh, turn of, of events that Microsoft has basically taken the stance of current OS uh, N-2, basically, is what they're going to support. So they're only supporting essentially 10.14, 10.15, I think, okay. uh, officially, uh, which is basically saying in advance of 10.11 slash 10.16 being released that that, that, is, that is N, and uh, the minus 2 is, or is what, what is our current operating system. Welcome to the math and calculus hour, where right? N is a number that we're not <laughs> sure what it is, and uh, 2 is it the current It could be 11, day. it could be 10.16. <laughs> Come on, this is Apple math here. Yeah, I, uh, I decided to get ahead of the curve uh, and uh, deploy in production 2000, Office 2019 um, because my glacially slow corporate um, clients upgraded to uh, the Outlook 365. And so I thought that was a good time because the licensing's changed for between 2016 and 2019. Um, yeah, yeah I, mm -hmm. I, I discovered this really good feature with the Office 2019 where the, they just stopped getting able to get mail in Outlook in 2019. <laughs> like, I mean, because they need, obviously, obviously, Outlook 2020 because 2019's already gone, you know? Right, yeah. Oh, well, and, and 2020 just keeps on going. Yeah, you don't want to get email from 2020, so... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Apple's uh, event this week, uh, I was basically completely wrong. But uh, the little uh, is it the HomePod Mini? Is that the official name of it? Mm -hmm. uh, looks looks extremely cool. If I was not so heavily uh, invested in Sonos at this point, uh, I would and and looking to expand uh, music throughout my house and what well, the great thing about the minis though is that you can buy them by the dozen so there's coming up like an ikea Apparently. grab bag right now just... apple only sells things for units of a thousand dollars or more so you have to yeah. buy a 10 pack right yep man i'm i'm just gonna hide them all over the house and then use the intercom to like <laughs> make the spookiest apple christmas ever you know you yeah, I mean, the fact that, that it'll take over your kid's uh, uh, iDevice and and uh, also share that message with them based on proximity. Yeah, uh, I'm going to set up a POE switch outside and uh, hang them from the trees and, uh, you know, just have like the spookiest <laughs> intercom Christmas. So I think the intercom feature doesn't, it's not going to be implemented later. It's one of those things where like, yeah, it kind of works, but we haven't really figured out and it's not really pushed out. And in the future, this will work. <laughs> Coming, coming. Also, is Air Tags and uh, what's the the Air Power uh, <laughs> or whatever that uh, the Power Pad was that that is no more. It's it's in it's interesting, uh, you know how you feel like uh, Apple's kind of ignored the HomePod, but it's it's been out there for what three years now, and just felt kind of like eh, it's it got some updates and and kind of has been ignored, and then all of a sudden it's like wow. You can litter your house with mini home pods and they'll systematically know that they're stereo pairs or and just create stereo pairs and I'm I'm interested to see how that might work when it gets confused that it's hearing another home pod <laughs> from another room and it's like, nah, I'll make a stereo pair out of out of us. It's interesting. I'm sure it also comes with LIDAR. Yeah, sure. It maps your room and it maps your room, right? Scans to see who's in it, and that's how they actually determine who gets notified when. when but I mean, come on, 
<laughs> iPhone 12, MagSafe, right? You got a sticky power thing. I mean, MagSafe. I mean, who would have thought? <clears> yeah, we, we lost level? it on the laptop years ago, right? To to USB-C, uh, which uh, the connectors wear out and, and eventually your cable will never stay in, uh, which is a feature. Uh, and the only solution to which is use another port until you wear that one out and then replace the device. Uh, so that's, I, I appreciate that. Thank you. And now they've transferred it to. Well, I mean, a multiple generations of iPhones. <laughs> I've had trouble with the, the main lightning port just getting dusty, right? Just it's full of dust and it won't charge anymore. So I was having trouble like with my iPhone. So I put it down on the Qi charging pad and then I get to it this morning and wasn't even charged. It was just not put exactly on the right spot <laughs> and it didn't charge. So I was almost ready to upgrade <laughs> just for that one. Just, just, just based on that. Yeah. I mean, unless they bring this, this, uh, you know, the magnetic alignment to all of their products to, to help with that. Um, which I'm sure that's what they're working towards, but boy, uh, the Apple timeline is, you know, two years for this stuff, right? Well, there's no 5G Canada quite yet. No, and I think maybe the 5G they're using is only licensed to certain vendors right now. So it's it's kind of completely useless unless you're on Verizon, I think. Uh, um, I don't know if you're if you can use it or use a certain spectrum unless you're on uh, those carriers that support it. Yeah, I, I'm not exactly sure. I mean, 5G just isn't the huge selling point that that uh, it, it would force me to upgrade. Yeah, iPhone 12, upgrade for the MagSafe, get the 5G, which will in work in various here. countries. Yes, it may or may not work, probably not. <laughs> but it does have the Wi-Fi 6? No, but I mean, yeah, somebody was like, oh, it's got Wi-Fi 6, and but that's been in the iPhone 11 and the iPhone SE, and, and yeah, I'm still not using Wi-Fi 6 anywhere, so... Yeah, I mean, those uh, Wi-Fi 6 type uh, devices, at least home routers, uh, are just coming online and, and becoming somewhat affordable for that. And if you're using any of the mesh systems and have had those in place for a while, those are definitely not going to be Wi-Fi 6 capable uh, and would need to be upgraded. And it's hard to say just exactly, you know, how much of that really is is being implemented. Uh, you know, realize that unless you have a really fast that pipe to the internet, Wi-Fi 6 doesn't do you any good. Uh, there's only so much bandwidth you can get over uh, over the pipe, let alone over the over the Wi-Fi. Yeah, I mean they're they're cool. I I, I do like the the new the new design uh, of it. Uh, I still think there's too many SKUs in the lineup. Too many iPhones, iPhone Mini, iPhone Maxi. <laughs> right. Mini, there, yeah. There's just too many SKUs, and that that's just comes from uh, my days as an Apple reseller and just sitting there going, "Are is John Scully running this organization again? Do we really need this many models of laptops?" and and iPhones and watches and uh, and whatnot but apparently we do apparently there is a, a glut of uh, Apple watch series 3 so that that is still being produced magically but if you're gonna spend the money I would probably get the SE at least which is basically uh, the Apple watch series 4 which has the slightly larger display and just better quality functionality than the series 3 I've still got my series 3 and it works great but yeah if you're gonna get get one the the SE does have the fall detection so I mean great for your old people friends you know <laughs> well and has the ability to uh, be set up without an actual uh, tethered uh, iPhone right only if you get the cellular version yeah 
Yeah, well, uh, yes. Made that a weird condition. Yeah, so, I mean, there's some interesting development a couple of weeks from from Apple. Uh, We still haven't, as of this recording, seen a Goldmaster or Big Sur. Yeah, Beta 10 just came out, so getting closer, maybe? Who knows? Maybe. I mean, 10 uh, 10 beta releases is one of the larger uh, number of beta releases that we've seen in an OS uh, pre-beta. Yeah. Uh, so that is that is kind of interesting. In the past, we've only seen uh, four to six or so beta releases before uh, moving to a Goldmaster. I'm testing Big Sur and just doing some MDM testing uh, with uh, Simple MDM, sponsor of MagDevOps. Um, <laughs> I use Simple MDM, but yeah, I just uh, sent a profile down to, to file vault uh, the drive and boom, you know, came up and, you know, the, all the dialog boxes are a little bit more lickable and gooey, which I'm thinking there's got to be some touch screen in the new hardware. But yeah, um, it seems to work fine and, uh, you know, get to know your MDM vendors and your MDM commands and, <laughs> and uh, yeah. Get, get testing because that's going to be pretty soon, I bet. Um, yeah, I suspect that we'll probably see something here uh, uh, not too not too far into the the distant future here. Uh, Apple normally uh, also does hardware releases here in October, so it's possible that next, next week or, or the week after we may have just a quiet uh, release of, of new hardware uh, just before the holiday. They like to get that locked in. So, I mean, before the holidays kick in in November. I was just thinking that, you know, it would be nice maybe to replace everything we have with Silicon Max uh, because, uh, you know, we got the T2 uh, jailbreak and getting uh, corporate security uh, types uh, asking us if we're vulnerable to these uh, hacks. And yeah, anything with a T2 is vulnerable to this hack. I mean, you do need physical access to the machine, which that goes into the realm of physical security and what you're doing in that sense. And you're probably more uh, likely to get fished uh, or tricked into downloading something versus someone coming into your home and plugging in a malicious cable into your machine. <laughs> everybody's at home anyway. Everybody's yeah, exactly. Everybody's at home and uh these days for that. Yeah, I mean I I mean I I recognize that there's a, that vulnerability uh out there, but uh we're really just not going anywhere uh these days with with these uh confusers of ours and I, I there are bigger zero days. <laughs> that Apple has recently uh, addressed that we probably uh, should be more concerned about uh, that, you know, and, and uh, you know, they're changing a lot of things like not being able to install kernel extensions, uh, you know, without rebooting and, and some of that, that sort of stuff that we've talked about in the past. So, uh, you know, we're, we're getting there. I think Apple's known about these issues for a while and, and those security researchers have, have finally given up with, with Goliath saying, yeah, yeah, settle down over there, you know, that, and that's that's why they've been announced to the world and uh, basically to get Goliath's attention and say, you need to actually do something about this. But but the solution is because it's a hardware problem is new hardware. So yeah. so Apple wins. <laughs> we lose. I mean, I, I can't argue with the fact that publicizing it makes Apple and other companies move quicker. So if you give them a 90 day or some amount of time to do something, it you hope that they move. What I don't really appreciate is people <laughs> practically weaponizing these and exploits with proof of concepts that they put on their GitHubs. I don't know. It's too easy to get to the level of a Metasploit kit or something, or you can just automate all these pieces to have malware farms and idiot malware people, you know, pushing out these exploits. So, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there was an interesting... Uh that was just put out there about uh, how the downloads folder is handled 
um, and that uh, basically uh, with a couple of echoes, um, you can you can make you can force a, a file, touch a file, uh, force commands into it, make it executable, and then run that, and basically get around you know all the protections that would otherwise come with downloading some sort of a uh, a file some of that is you know physical security and and stronger passwords uh, and not turning on things like ssh <laughs> for access to the machine but yeah there there's still some some interesting things that i think are beyond apple's purview i guess uh, you know because these are these are shell exploits these are these are things that are happening yeah uh, in, i mean at the that- command line there was that great example that uh, one security researcher wrote up a, a one-line command just to encrypt your entire hard drive. Uh, yeah, it was basically a one-line to, to start encrypting everything on your computer. And it was it was detected by Patrick Wardle's ransomware app, which basically detects if there's a lot of encryption going on. But it was pretty easy to get around just this proof of concept by changing the entropy level so basically how fast it was encrypting yeah it was it was it was literally like this one line um <laughs> uh and it was basically using discutil uh, to create an apfs volume to, and it was basically basically in creating a new uh volume and then encrypting everything and then deleting all your stuff except for what was <laughs> in your and it was literally like a, a beautiful hacky uh, one line you know shell script uh, you know that you could just somehow execute right <laughs> you know <laughs> but uh yeah i mean we've known forever that there's no way to not prevent those kind of awesome hacks i suppose <laughs> we have to realize that you know all of this technology is brought to us by uh, the highly fallible human being, and you know that the the whole idea here is that we're fallible. We're going to put those weaknesses into the hardware, and and through to over time, and and through testing, make things more secure, and 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 fix those things, and not necessarily have them hold up. Uh, you know all the things in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with the Mac platform, there's a lot more room to uh, do whatever we want. So there's, I mean, you can just go ahead and install brew if you really want to mess up your machine. Right. Am I right? Am I right? I don't know that you're right. I run brew and I, I use it to uh, install uh, lots of things, you know, including Python three, because uh, I am tired of living in the dark. Uh, <laughs> why? Why with brew? Oh, folks, don't let other folks use brew. You don't need brooded to I thought, oh, I don't know. Yeah, I saw that recently too. Somebody was like, oh, you want to install Ansible and install brew and then install Python from brew and then install, you know, Ansible. I was like, oh, what kind of shell game is this? But I suppose it's better than a one line curl from Bash or something. Yeah, I mean, I've seen, you know, uh, <laughs> those one liners where you basically curl into a shell, you know, and you're just blindly, you know, downloading a, a shell script out of some GitHub repo and praying that it doesn't like completely (laughs) foul your machine so you know i mean in all of this we we have a level of trust uh you know whether it's uh uh brew packages or uh you know looking at auto package and the auto package recipes you know one of the things that we've talked about uh in the past is uh some great mind out there not me because i just i don't i can't wrap my full brain around it but to take the auto package recipe uh and make that also develop a test to verify that the package was downloaded created uh and put and maybe if the monkey option is selected put into the monkey uh, repo properly and added to testing or production and then be able to to create that that 
to check on the fly. And I'm sure somebody is listening to this podcast right now is like, that's a great idea. I can do that. And while I would like credit for the idea, this is something that that is for the benefit of the community. So I hope they will they will put it out there for the benefit of the of the community. But I think it would be a great feature to add yeah. to Auto Package. I mean, thanks to the great folks at Simple MDM sponsor the podcast. Um, there's uh, you know that feature <laughs> they added. Uh, where they can basically from an auto package recipe uh just be able to download from call the recipe and then have it added to uh simple simple mdm to the monkey repo that simple mdm looks after so you can basically have auto package deliver straight to uh, simple mdm which is pretty awesome go taylor and team yeah there's been some some great development uh you know on on that front and and uh, MDMs are becoming you know ever so more important as Apple moves the Mac platform closer to the iPad platform. We need MDMs these days. Um, that's just the fact. My day job involves a lot of storage and backups and archives and all that kind of good stuff. But recently, uh, a long time uh, backup software company uh, Tallis shut down. And that affected a lot of people that were using Brew, B-R-U, um, which was a pretty low-cost uh, backup software that a lot of people were using. And geez, 15 years ago, a long time ago, I used the tallest tape tools because they had these command line tools that you could control a tape library with mm-hmm. to actually restore uh, tar archives from uh, a tape uh, on a Mac. The Macs don't have uh, tape tools um, built into the OS. So I remember that was my first uh, infinite loop script where I basically like, if you find a tar file, like restore it, keep looking, keep restoring. Because I realized every time I ran this command to restore a tar uh, archive, it was basically <laughs> restoring one file. And then I was like, oh my God, there's going to be thousands and thousands. These are, this is an image sequence. I'm like, I'm never going to make it home for dinner. And so then I was like, quick, I need to write a script that... I'm gonna keep loop, loops over this. If you keep finding stuff, keep restoring it, and I can go home. <laughs> Just like that's that's why you write scripts. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people don't you know don't don't realize that like tar or tape archive was actually to archive data to tapes <laughs> yep. thirty years yep. ago, right? Yep. Yeah. And yeah, it's I mean even less than thirty years ago. Yeah, I mean I was I was grabbing this was this was the lingua franca of tapes for film sets for a long time. They'd send it to the VFX house or the post house, and you'd have a tar uh, archive on these tapes. And uh, uh, later on, the last couple of years, they <clears throat> they have sort of standardized on LTFS linear tape file system. So if you like the performance of a Finder file system and the slow uh, grumpiness of a LTO tape cartridge, then you have the best of worst worlds with LTFS. Um, basically it looks like and you can interact with it in the finder but every time you list display or <laughs> even stare at the thing wrong it, it kind of looks at you really badly so but a lot of companies use ltfs um, and some companies use their own proprietary file system and can import and export to this ltfs and ltfs was kind of okay for transport basically the idea was that if you can get away from tape archives with a slightly little bit better GUI or interface, then you could be able to transport tapes between facilities or between clients or between you know companies. But yeah, the the fact that a company that was probably managing backups and archives for a lot, a lot of small, large, and lots of independent uh, filmmakers, you know, um, and people, you know, the company shuts down, and then 
you know, no more updates to your backup software, no more updates. And, you know, we know this yearly cycle with Mac OS and it just heightens the normal issue that you run into in this business where if you're going to restore something, you need to have software and an OS that runs that software that's compatible. And if your company that's supporting your backup company disappears, then you're in trouble and you got to quickly archive the system that can de-archive your files. So you have to put that computer aside with that OS and never update it again and probably keep it off the network. Yeah. Yeah, definitely uh, kind of isolated away and, and hope that, that uh, you pick the right the right computer with the right hardware in it that it's not going to fail and you mm. have some other method of backing that up, right? <laughs> so that you could potentially restore to a similar platform if you needed to. Yeah, I mean, uh, we re- recently stored a lot of uh, archives for a client of mine and uh, they were using Final Cut 7 and Final Cut 6. Um, but of course, now we're using Final Cut 10 uh, on newer platforms. And uh, well, we restored a lot. And I, I did a blog post about how we sort of recovered everything was thanks to uh, a bunch of different pieces of software. Uh, <laughs> but the concept was is that you know you want to re-edit some of these old shows, but you want to re-edit them in Final Cut 10, but they're now in Final Cut 7. So you finally have to you have to have a system that will run Final Cut 7. And I think 1014 is pretty much the last, even though it probably 1012 was maybe the officially the last one that could run Final Cut 7. But uh, this uh, genius inventor uh, created this app called uh, Retroactive because some people wanted iTunes. Because after Catalina removed iTunes, I think some people wanted iTunes back on their system. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you were able also to install Final Cut 7 on 10.14. So I was able to install Final Cut 7 on 10.14 and use it to open up a project, export to XML, and use another uh, uh, great app called Send to X, which would take the XML, translate it from one format of XML to another format of XML, and then you could open it in uh, Final Cut 10. But then you're not out of the woods yet because a lot of the, the video files, you, the codecs they were using... Uh, we're 32-bit codecs, so 10.14 is pretty much one of the last ones that can read both. Pretty soon now, Final Cut, it's 10.4.10 as of this podcast, but pretty soon Final Cut won't be able, I think as of 10.15, you won't be able to look at those 32-bit codecs. So I had to use another program, Kino, to take to find all the 32-bit videos that were using 32-bit codecs and convert them to 64-bit codec compatible videos. And then you could open it in Final Cut 10. So you've got all these massive archives. And in our case, there's all these archives on DVDs and Blu-rays and so I used Hedge to like co- copy like hundreds of, of optical discs, which and most of them worked. Some of them didn't. Like optical discs don't work forever. And using Hedge, I was able to automate putting in like just dozens and dozens, and and all point them to the same target. And then basically you're restoring all these optical discs, and then you're trying to like convert all the media, and then open the projects and convert them to a new format. And then you know I put them on a Nearline archive, on a NAS, and on LTO tape. <laughs> But every couple of years, you're going to have to revisit your archives. And if disaster strikes and your backup company is uh, fold, then that's that's quite that's quite a disaster for a lot of people. So having multiple formats for your backups and archives and uh, multiple copies. So maybe put a copy in the cloud if you can, or maybe put a copy off site. It can be two NASs syncing uh, to each other could be massive raids that are copied and duplicated and put in different sites you don't have to use the cloud and maybe hard drives maybe tapes uh, you know lto tapes (laughs) yeah i feel for these people uh, that uh, have a lot of archives that are trying to restore from brew and uh, you know maybe trying to find a new company to uh, to move them to or another format to put them in and 
you could have the same issue if you had shelves full of hard drives or shelves full of optical discs. Yeah, I mean, to to that point, you know, the the uh, the old adage of the three two one backup rule, right? Three uh, copies of your data, two different locations, one off site, and yeah, cyanide goes bad in those. Uh, those CDRs and DVDRs uh, that that were so popular uh, not uh, yeah. five five years ago. So uh, and you know and just just like the magnetic material falls off of to tape too, right? So if you have old LTO tapes and things like that, that that material is is slowly just just going bad. You know, yeah, I mean, every couple of years you have to revisit your archives, whether on hard drives or on optical discs or LTO. And with LTO, you're also kind of forced in some ways if you're if you're if you can budget for it or if this is your to migrate from one lto format to another so i mean when i started it was lto3 which was when i started with lto um and then of course you know it went from lto3 to 4 and then lto5 and, and now we're at lto8 currently with lto9 just being announced and i mean on lto6 uh, for example you have two and a half terabytes of compressed media so like video files and then on, on lto7 we're getting five and a half terabytes on LTO eight, you're getting at least ten, um, so it's kind of doubling. But yeah. you're, every couple of years, you have to change uh, and get a new uh, drive, um, and they have some backward compatibility, kind of like your N minus two. You last couple of years, it's been last couple of formats of LTO. You've been able to read two formats back. I think my LTO seven drive can read back to LTO five, but can only write to LTO six and seven. But I think they they may have changed that with LTO eight, where the compatibility was much more severely restricted. Yeah, it's not going to last forever, and you can't keep that hardware under support forever, even if you do want to throw your money away. But yeah, that's why I've been building nearline archives as well, and um, <laughs> you know, it's like raids and LTO, and you know off-site, on-site, and cloud if you can afford it, or just park another RAID somewhere else or another NAS somewhere else? Or Just recently, uh, I was helping a colleague uh, kind of flesh something out like this for, for a videographer and, and having a, basically a working RAID that they were working for their, their video editing with a near-term RAID uh, and then off-site, you know, basically cloud storage to basically R-Sync, you know, all of that to the cloud with with redundant, you know, SSD external drives for for uh, capture out in the field and then uh, coming up with a process of, you know, using Carbon Copy Cloner to, to basically get all of that data then off of the externals and onto uh, onto this uh, working storage raid it's it's interesting it's it's definitely not cheap but definitely more affordable than it than it used to be uh, you know and we're talking like you know solutions that are 48 terabytes without even blinking right i mean that's raw yeah. storage and after you get done with the raid and everything else you're you're down to maybe 20 terabytes of actual storage it's, uh, it can happen very quickly and and the data formats are only getting bigger as we move to you know a lot of the the red cameras or yeah. 6k and uh, you know, they're moving to 8K and I mean, <laughs> even, even higher resolutions. Definitely been a big fan of uh, R-Sync forever, um, but I definitely uh, moved to uh, Arco or P5 for most of my uh, backups because it does sync and backup and archive and everything. But um, for camera cards and, and for even this uh, restoration project where I restored everything from CD, but definitely for camera cards, I've been depending on Hedge because one thing it does over a Carbon Copy Cloner, which I love to death as well, um, the thing that Hedge does is it, it checks and does hash checks and everything, but it gives you logs. So you have not quite a paper trail, but you have log files with every file, their hash, 
uh, any errors, issues. Um, and so you basically kind of receipts for every transaction, which I really like. So when you're capturing from a, and you can do multiple destinations from every source. So basically you drag a card in or a drive. And usually we do like two copies of every card and then go to, to the base, you know, to the office and then do two copies. And they're always verified. And uh, what I really liked when I was doing that restoration from the optical disc is optical discs are so slow and, and can have errors. So you just I just kept plugging in DVD drives and Blu-ray drives and then it just said back up to this, you know, this one raid. And it just like it kept, you know, going through and it would give me a nice like log file at the end of if there was a if it copied ninety percent, but there was some files that just wouldn't transfer, right? I mean the last thing you want with a finder copy is if, you know, the finder to crap out and you have no idea if five files copied or ten thousand files copied, but which ones didn't you don't know, right? So definitely important uh oh, finder stable what are you talking about oh yeah 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 totally totally <laughs> <laughs> yeah having played around with xn for years you know yeah it doesn't like a lot of files at once and yeah if you drag and drop i've had clients drag and drop a sans worth of stuff and uh, with the finder and then i'm like did that copy work did that backup work oh i don't know I'm like, you don't know mm, okay. <laughs> you don't know do you <laughs> yeah maybe we want to know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like the ditto command fails after about 5,000 files still to this day. Ah, yes, yeah. Poor Apple, they just they just had no idea people would create lots and lots of files and, and want to put them all in the same folder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 it's, it's, it's happening more and more, lots of files. Um, people are using NASes, which are, you know, Synology and QNAP and, and uh, lots, of, uh, lots of files over SMB or NFS and We've got these QNAP uh, NAS boxes that you can do 10 gigi or Thunderbolt, which is nice. But a lot of people have Mac Minis and iMac Pros with 10 gig built in or Mac Pro 10 gig built in. So I've even heard of some people putting 100 gig cards in their uh, Mac Pros. So <laughs> it's, it's a thing. Wow. Yeah. But well, I uh, guess, I mean, if you're at the Mac Pro level, you know, and you're. Yeah. Pro it's, 100 editing, you're <laughs> it's a 100 gig card. And you're, you're also, you know, the, the dollar value of that uh, is of little consequence, right? It's it's because you are you need to get work done and you need to transfer that data as quickly as possible. Yeah, and I mean, when you're talking XN or Stornex large SANS, I mean, Fiber Channel, it adds a few extra bucks, but I mean, when you're talking a lot of files or a lot of video and you need high performance, then it's not a big deal. But yeah, it, it starts to add up when you're duplicating that or backing them up in triplicate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was uh, you know excited uh, back when when Apple added the option of, of 10 gig to the Mac Minis. Oh yeah, uh, you know, and and then being able to tie that into you know other devices like a Synology NAS that has 10 gig built in as well. I mean, that really that gives you a lot of power in a little tiny package. So that's that's really spectacular uh, yeah. along those lines. It's definitely, a, I mean, GPU on that, and you can build yourself a nice little little powerhouse of of storage and capability. Yeah, and um, even Synology's been, I mean, QNAP's been over the top with the hardware with SSD caches and all this kind of stuff. Um, but uh, recently, Synology's been doing NVMe caches and adding them, so you basically add four drives, five drives, however many drives to your Synology, and then they have NVMe like little SSD caches you can put in there now too. Um, though they do need to start adding more 10 gig to the consumer level one. But that's why the QNAP was nice because they had uh, Thunderbolt built in, so you could do 10 gig over Thunderbolt. Um, right. and that's something that a lot of people didn't know that you could attach two Macs together with Thunderbolt and even with Thunderbolt One and do 10 gig uh, networking uh, file transfers. And 
but uh, we'll see how that is in the future with the Apple Silicon and their new target mode that is really a file sharing, basically a potentially a 40 gig SMB transfer, but at least a 10 gig SMB transfer connection. <laughs> I've been playing with this new uh, search tool uh, called the uh, app called Foxtrot. It basically indexes kind of like a spotlight replacement. But the cool thing about it is that you can use it to index multiple locations. And so when you're searching, you can search across everything all at once. Um, like I've got it searching like all the sand volumes, raid volumes, NAS volumes. Uh, and so you can literally drill down and search and then, you know, go, I just want QuickTime movies or I just want PDFs or I just want, and then it has all the, it makes proxies. It takes, you know, it takes its time to crawl through everything. But if you're updating it once a week, then, uh, you know, searching is fast and spotlight can be hit or miss on some of the larger storage. When it works on this on XN, it's great. When it doesn't work, then people are searching by hand and crawling through the mud, <laughs> <laughs> digging through their files, digging through their files, <laughs> hoping that they've organized something. But they're like, "What was that called?" You know, but just brute force searching and indexing of your of your stuff. I've been doing a lot of spelunking into the archives, <laughs> figuring out what we've uh, archived with some clients, and uh, I, I found like you know, uh, thousands of projects and then whittled it down, you know, when I'm writing this Python script to find out, well, we'll just count the ones that actually named properly because those ones are easier to like capture in this search. But, you know, the ones that aren't named properly, just put those aside because if somebody didn't spend the time to name them properly, then maybe they weren't worthy of compiling into this list. But uh, trying to explain to somebody what the difference between an LTO archive and all these digital archives, like LTO archive ver controlled by modern backup software like P5 versus what's you know sort of kept track of in a FileMaker Pro database on an optical DVD array. And, and then finally, I was really recommended to me, just take a picture of the shelf with all these things and then put them in your report. And I'm like, so here's a picture of a shelf of LTO cassettes. Here's a picture of a shelf of DVDs all lined up from, you know, 20 years ago, which we have no idea if we can access again. There's another good Twitter thread I saw about uh, uh, this woman who I follow a lot of, uh, trying to follow so many different people trying to, you know, on Twitter to try and get some different perspectives and find, you know, what people are doing in InfoSec. And this one woman in InfoSec was like, oh, I need some help parsing CSV files, but I don't know where to start in Python help. And... I just I found people's responses super you know helpful and you know it's just great when people chime in with good ways of solving a problem and uh, thought that was really interesting how to tackle parsing CSV files because I've been parsing all these tab separated files which are like CSVs in Python and so it's interesting to see other people trying to solve the problem with different tools and um, I'll put that in the show notes. Uh, Twitter can be helpful, not just a cesspool. Sometimes, 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 but doom scrolling is a thing. <laughs> There was also this thing that somebody posted. It was like, I think there's this thing where you can do in Bash, which was with SQL, and I can't really remember. And it's something about DSV files and TSV files. I mean, it must be this corner of Twitter that I'm on where people are only parsing CSV files. <laughs> but uh, I was like, oh, I mean, I, I have to spelunk in SQL files. Uh, maybe this 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 thing will be interesting. And then I'm like, oh, it turned out. It was this, this script or this command where basically you can actually type shell commands as SQL commands. So kind of like OS query, where everything is useful if you can only write it in, in a SQL command. So I was like, I'm not writing in the shell like SQL. Like, it's just like, I'm not a database admin. I don't want to query my endpoints. I don't want to query my shell or with SQL commands. But right. somewhere in the world, somebody really likes SQL commands. So more power to them. But that's another one for the show notes. Yeah, if you like SQL. Ah, special kind of hell for people who love YAML and uh, spaces and tabs. And 
we're not we're not gonna have that fight today over tabs <laughs> versus spaces. So uh, it's like I was in the Jupiter lab and I was like, this thing won't run. I'm like, oh, indentation is wrong. Okay, I'm like, did you tab this or did you space is this two spaces? One I was like, ah, uh, how can you design a language that breaks with spaces problem? Ah, uh, it's a space problem. We need the space force. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> That's really what the Space Force should be, is, is oh controlling God. spaces versus tabs. Space Force! Let me run that script for you, sir. Indent, indent, indent. Two tabs. <laughs> for the price of that is, that is one of my favorite features of BB Edit is, is tabs to spaces and also just showing invisibles so I know what's what. I love BB Edit, and there's just so many things I don't know about it. <laughs> It's just like, it, it, it's kind of like the Photoshop of everything. It does everything. It does everything. But I, I, I do hope for it to have better YAML editing capabilities in the yeah. future. Yeah, it was the only program that was able to open my 12 million line file before I threw it at Jupyter Labs um, to an analyze. But yeah, I was doing some manual hacking in BB Edit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 12 million files. I'll see you in a couple of years. Uh, if you want to sponsor the Mac DevOps podcast, uh, just give us a shout at hello at mdoyvr.com. We'll be accepting sponsorships for the podcast and for the next year's conference. Thank you to our Mac DevOps YVR 2020 sponsors. Our sponsors for Mac DevOps YVR, the conference 2020. Mac Stadium, our platinum sponsor. Thank you so much for helping us out. Sauce Labs, our gold sponsor, Simple MDM, our silver sponsor, and Adigy, our bronze sponsor, as well as Elastic, our community sponsor. Thank you so much. Uh, we couldn't do it without you, and uh, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today for the Mac DevOps podcast. Thank you to our guests, and thank you to our co-hosts. Today's episode was edited by JD Strong. Please like and share this podcast on your favorite podcast service. Oh, I'm just going to get to the bottom of this delicious muffin here. It's just nice and warm. <laughs>